Welcome back to the Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we are in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 reads, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. And going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him aboard, and we went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, the next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed for all of them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. 
being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. For today's nugget of truth, we're going to focus in on the words that Paul ascribes to Jesus here in verse 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And now certainly we've probably heard this many times if we've been in the church about the opportunity that we have to experience blessing when we're giving rather than receiving because of the countercultural thought that that is. We seem to think in our society, and many would say, hey, it's better if I receive things. It's better if I am the benefactor of something rather than if I'm the one who is giving something. So think about birthday parties, right? The way that those are structured, everybody brings a gift to the person that is being celebrated. It's not the other way around. It's not that the person on their birthday is giving to all those around them. So you would seem to think, hey, it's actually better to receive. It's actually more blessed to receive than to give. But let's think about some other instances where a similar thing could be taking place. I know I've shared with many of you the way in which when I have given a gift that I know is the perfect gift for somebody, how I receive great joy and great contentment in what takes place. But I also have seen situations take place where I have been removed from that situation and I've seen somebody giving somebody something else and watch the manner in which what they're doing is really symbolic of something greater. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you watch somebody who's giving like a generational gift to someone else, as they're giving that, the joy that they experience and the understanding of knowing what is being passed on to that other individual is more than just that object, but is the history, the story, the narrative that's taken place with that object that will now continue to be passed through. And so there are many situations like that, but even the most basic gifts, when we understand what this verse is truly talking about, display the fact that we understand that everything that we have has been given to us by God and is given to us as a steward of what he is giving us. And so we're called to do with it what he has commanded us to do. And we're called to take that blessing, take that gift, reflect that to others and put the gospel on display. And so when we do that, we experience the glories of the gospel. When we do that, we understand in a greater sense our connection to God and our connection to what he has called us to do and how he is allowing us to continue to impart the gospel to others. Because when we give sacrificially and genuinely, we display love to others that is a imperfect display of the love that was given to us on the cross as Jesus died sacrificially and on our behalf, knowing that he was doing what he could never be repaid for because we would never have the ability to do so. So when we give, we experience in a small way what it is to be Jesus on the cross. We are able to be a part of sending that redemption, sending that grace, sending that love to others. And we experience a small facet of what Jesus experiences on the cross. And so it's important for us to understand and grasp that as we think about how countercultural that is in our day. And how by living this way, we're able to put the gospel on display for others to see. Now, for our question, I want to stay in this same verse. And I want to stay in the same verse because I would challenge you to look back through the gospels, look back through the rest of the Bible, and find this statement here by Jesus. You're not going to find it. I'll give you that hint. And so what is that all about? How is it that Paul can say, Jesus said this, and we don't have that somewhere else? It's important for us to understand several things in here. First, Luke is writing here about this situation with Paul 
and an event that took place sometime in the mid to late 50s. And so in that circumstance, we must understand that most of the Gospels probably had not even been written yet. And so as Paul is speaking in this time, we're not understanding, or if we are thinking that he has access to the Gospels, we're not certain that that was taking place, let alone even that they were in existence by this period of time. So what Paul has in terms of what Jesus has said is oral traditions, other things, even special revelations that have been given to him by Jesus himself. And we can look through the book of Acts and other places in the scriptures to see that Paul received those things, not from other people, but from Jesus directly. So it's important that we understand, hey, if we're thinking in terms of let's look back at the rest of the New Testament and find this, Paul does not have that at this point in time in his ministry, let alone will we even understand how much of it Paul has later in his ministry. And so we must not look at this in terms of that sort of a comparison. The second thing is, is that we must understand that Paul, as he is divinely inspired, is able to write something in this situation about something outside of what we have, and it can still be possible that other people knew that as well. When we look through the Gospels, we can see that there are parts of the story of Jesus that are not there. We've done that as we've looked at different Gospels and compared them, how Mark has very little about the origins of Jesus in the early stories, how we have those big gaps between the teenage years of Jesus and the ministry time of Jesus. And so there are other things that took place that were real events and that were historical events that could be verified and could be spoken of in other situations about realities of Jesus and what took place. And so an argument from silence, the argument that we have not seen this anywhere else and therefore that it is not actually true to Jesus, is a very weak argument in terms of what's happening here. And finally, what we must understand is there's nothing in Scripture that would teach contrary to this statement. When we look at this statement and what's at the heart motive of it and what's at the center of this teaching, we see that that is on display in the rest of the truth of the gospel. So we have no reason to think that this is an aberration to what Jesus thought. This is truly what Jesus displayed as he gave himself to others instead of asking things in return. Think about him as the servant leader, what he was doing. He came saying it's more blessed to serve than to be served. So it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so while many people might want to say, hey, this is an example of how the Bible can't be true. Jesus never said this. I've read the rest of the Bible and it's not there. That's really a weak argument to argue here. It's argument of silence. We also don't even have reason to believe that Paul would have had the rest of the scriptures to read and to know and to learn from. So he's gathering from other materials, oral traditions, other things from eyewitnesses who have spoken, in addition to Jesus and the revelations that have been given to him directly. And so we can see that this is not a situation that could cause or should cause us to have any way a lower view on the authority or the continuity of Scripture. And so hopefully you're able to answer questions as you walk through this. I do want to say something very briefly here. Uh, I would like you to check out the book of maps in your Bible. What do I mean by that? Most Bibles that you have have maps there in the back. As I was a kid, that was one of my favorite places to find myself was looking through the maps that were there, just reading through those different things. As Americans, traditionally, we struggle with geography. There are a lot of places going on here in this chapter. And so 
it's easier for you to go and look at some of those things as they've been written than for me to try to explain them in this opportunity that we have in this digital format where you don't have these things in front of you and the audio is all that you have. I would say, hey, check out those maps. Most of them will have pretty extensive maps of the journeys of Paul and the missionary journey specifically that are taking place. I think that would be good for you to refer to so you can kind of watch and follow and see how Paul is moving throughout the known kingdoms. I also think that that might answer some of those questions that you guys might have about some of these different geographical or location-specific things. And so as you walk through this, as you study those things, I pray that you would continue to grow in your knowledge of the Lord, continue to grow in your love of the Lord and His church. Know today you are loved. You're-